Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you prepared each one of us for this day, for this hour, for these moments, so that you could reveal your truth to each of one of us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gift. Lord, as we come together and we lift our voices up in praise and worship, we experience the joy of your presence, reminding us that we do not walk through life alone. And it is with this reminder, Lord Jesus, that we know we can fully depend on you through each and every step of our journeys. And we can trust you with all aspects of our lives through the mountaintop highs and the desert valley lows and everything in between. So whether we come here this morning riding on the joys of a mountaintop experience or bearing the burdens of sorrow and pain, you invite us to be in your presence and to be in relationship with you, in relationship with you, Lord, who created all things, who has power beyond anything we can imagine, and who knows everything, even everything about each one of us. Yet, you love us beyond anything we can understand or even begin to explain. Knowing that you love us, Lord, we come before you this morning asking you, our Heavenly Father, to set aside the distractions of this world and enable us to have laser focus on the message that you have prepared for each of us today. So come, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to move amongst us and open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive your message today. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Bob, for praying for us this morning grateful for you. In fact, as we move into our prayer series entitled Let Us Pray that we're beginning today, you'll see various members of our New City Matthews family coming up and leading us in prayer each week, and we're super excited about that. Well, thank you all for being here this morning. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. I'm Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Matthews, and as I mentioned a moment ago, today we're starting a seven-week series on prayer, a seven-week series on prayer. But as we begin to get into our series on the topic of prayer, I know that we all have different experiences and exposures related uh, to prayer, but I think there's some common things that we can all relate to. Uh, for instance, I know I'm not the only one in here that has fallen asleep while praying. Come on, somebody, don't leave me up here by myself. I know I'm not the only one. Or many of us would pray before a tough test or a big meeting, right? Whatever your experience or, or your exposure is with prayer, our hope uh, for this series is that God will meet you right where you are. He'll meet you right where you are. And as a result, wherever you are, all of us can lean into prayer and develop a more intimate relationship with God. So as we begin to lay the foundation of this series, I want to ask you a few questions right here off the top uh, that I want you to ponder as we dive into this series. And the first is this, when you think about prayer, what comes to mind? Think about prayer, what comes to mind? How do you feel 
how would you describe your prayer life? And this brings me to why a series on prayer. Why a series on prayer? Because though those may be simple questions, I think for many of us, they could be tough to answer. Tough questions to answer. What we can all agree on is that prayer should be a core discipline of the Christian life. Most of us know it in theory to be essential. It's been built into many of us to some degree, depending on how we were raised. And yet, honestly speaking, prayer for many of us is inconsistent, a mystery, or dare I say, unenjoyable. We wrestle with things like, does it even work? Why do I get so distracted when I pray? Or does it even make a difference? And so I want to start this morning by sharing some common obstacles to prayer. Some common obstacles to prayer. The first I want to share is this, noise. Noise. We live in a culture full of noise. From entertainment, whether it's movies, music, your favorite podcast, to the news, social media, or whatever it is. And that's just external noise. What about the internal noise? What about the voices that compete for our attention day in and day out? Your mama's voice, your grandmother's voice, your dad's voice. What about the voice of those insecurities that show up from time to time? What about the voice that is the residual effects of the trauma that you've been through when you were little. Whether it's external noise or internal noise, this noise makes it hard for us to hear and discern the Lord's voice. That's why we need a series on prayer. I recently heard my brother D'Angelo, who attends uh, this location of New City, he recently said something powerful about noise and I wanna share it with you. He said, the present moment is full of gifts that we can only enjoy when we quiet the internal and external noise. He said, noise keeps us from enjoying and appreciating the present moment. To appreciate something, he said, is to understand its beauty, magnitude, power, and influence in our lives. And noise distracts us from this realization. We live in a culture full of noise. The second obstacle I want to share with you this morning is busyness. We live in a culture of busyness and activity. Got to go. Got to get it done. Got to finish this. Got to start that. In other words, most of us live our lives with little to no margin for things outside of what we would say are our normal responsibilities and obligations. And what gets lost or pushed out altogether? You guessed it time spent with God. Here's a quote that I came across, and you may find this true in your own life. It says, hurry is the greatest enemy to our spiritual life. Hurry is the greatest enemy to our spiritual life. So we live in a culture full of noise. We live in a culture full of busyness, but we also live in a culture that elevates and prioritizes independence. I got it. I don't need help. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And hear me clearly, there are times when 
that has its place. There are times when you and I must do things on our own or for ourselves, but what we've been learning is that we were created not only to exist, but to thrive in community. Noise, busyness, and independence. Those are some of the obstacles we name, but there are many more, aren't there? There are many more obstacles to prayer. And so it begs the question, where do we begin as we start to talk about the topic of prayer? Where do we, where do we begin? Where do we start? Because it's a broad topic, isn't it? That's like somebody saying, let's talk about exercise. Okay. Where do we start? And so we've decided to start this series off by dealing with the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? How would you define it? How would you explain it? Well, for many of us, we would say that it's talking to God. It's personal communication with God, which is right. But here's something that I believe is even more central, and it's where we're going to begin to define what prayer is. And it's our bottom line today, and it's simple. Prayer is about relationship. If you don't remember anything else from today's message, I need you to take that home. Prayer is about relationship. At its core, that's what it's about. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, nearly everyone believes in God and throws casual offhand remarks in his general direction from time to time. But prayer is something quite different. That's why we're going to lean into this for the next seven weeks. We're going to talk about prayer. Because the truth is, family, there's no substitute for prayer for communication and time spent with God. I love what Kerry Newhoff said. He said, prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. Prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's not something to check off of your to-do list. It is a relationship to be pursued. And as with any relationship, if it's going to grow, it needs private space. It needs time where you can get to know one another. In fact, Jacqueline and I spent some time away this week to grow and develop in our relationship. Now, I'll be honest. It's a safe space, right? When we left on the trip, we was beefing. When we left to go on the mountain, we was beefing. Even after the first night, we were beefing. Even then to day two, we were beefing. Am I lying? We were beefing. And, and dare I say, we were beefing in a way that we hadn't beefed before. Now, I'll be the first to say, we're not a perfect couple by any stretch of the imagination. But seldom do we argue. But this past week? But now, but now I need you to know that what pierced the division, what pierced the disagreement was prayer. There was a moment where we took some space and we went to this beautiful chapel in the mountains where we were. We went to this beautiful chapel and we decided that in spite of where we were, we were going to commit this to God. And as God is my witness, God met us in the prayer. By the time we finished praying, we were crying and apologizing and thanking God for all kind of stuff. But God met us in prayer. He also reminded us of something that we just walked through, and that was spiritual warfare. He reminded us of something that we talked about from the pulpit. 
that your spouse is not your enemy. That there's an enemy behind the scenes that seeks to cause division, discouragement, and discord. But it was prayer that pierced through the disagreement that we had. Because prayer creates an environment where closeness can happen. Prayer does that. Jesus' life of prayer gives us the foundation for what prayer is. Now, it's hard to define prayer using just one phrase. And so today, for the balance of our time, I'm going to use three phrases or three facets of prayer. But before we do that, I want us to look at what Jesus said about prayer in John 15, verses 4 through 5, because it captures the heart of what prayer is and what it does in the life of a believer. So if you're able, I'm going to ask now that you would stand for the reading of God's word as we look at John 15, verses 4 through 5. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Your version that you have might say abide. It might say abide in me and I will abide in you. This is such a great passage for us to look at as we begin to talk about prayer because the context of this text here, these verses is that Jesus is saying these things to his disciples on the last night before his arrest and his crucifixion. So it was the last supper and Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room. And they are in or at least nearing the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see Jesus in these verses telling his disciples what the key is to their Christian lives. He says, remain in me. Stay connected to me, he says. Now, again, the Greek word here, remain, also carries with it the idea, as I mentioned a second ago, to abide, to stay with, or to dwell with. It's the same term that the Apostle John would use as he wrote about Jesus calling the 12 and inviting them to be with him. Essentially, he was inviting them to stay with him, to remain with him. So this word remain, I need you to know, is a very relational term. It's a very relational term. But I also want you to notice that, that fruitfulness or effectiveness related to what God has called you to is tied and tethered to remaining in him. And prayer helps us to do that. See, when we get off course, prayer helps to realign us with God. The truth is, when we went up on a mountain, we were out of alignment. We were out of step with God. We were focused on self. And prayer helps us to recenter ourselves with God. And so the first facet or phrase I want us to look at today is the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. The practice of prayer is primarily about conversation and connection. Conversation and connection. So it begs the question, what does healthy conversation look like? Healthy conversation is both speaking and listening. Healthy conversation is listening and responding. The Lord speaks to us and we speak to him. Now, if your prayer life is anything like mine, I'm much better at speaking than I am listening. Much better at speaking than I am listening. But it's important for us to remember that God speaks to us through his living word. He speaks to us through his spirit. 
And he even speaks to us through the body of Christ, through those that we are connected with in community. So conversation, hearing, and listening implies the need for margin, quiet, and for intentionality. Now let me share this illustration that I think helps to make it crystal clear for us. Lean in with me for just a moment. Here's the illustration. Suppose you were at dinner with someone that you care about, somebody that's important to you, a friend, a lover, somebody of importance. And the dinner is set in a fine restaurant where everything is arranged to give you a sense of privacy. There's adequate illumination at your table and everything else in the restaurant is in the shadows. You are aware of the other people and the activity in the room, but they do not intrude with the intimacy of the person that you came with. Between the two of you, there's talking, there's listening, there's moments of silence. From time to time, the waiter comes to your table. You ask questions of him, you place your order, and maybe even have your glass filled. Then at the end of your dinner, you thank him for his service, and you may even leave a tip. You depart from the restaurant, still in companionship with the person that you dine with. Only outside on the street, the conversation is less personal, it's more casual. Now stay, stay with me, this is a picture of prayer. The person with whom we should set aside time for intimacy, for this deepest and most personal conversation, is God. At such times, the world is banished in the shadows. It's on the periphery. Prayer, while it may at times not be complete solitude, it should always be careful, carefully protected, and skillfully supported intimacy. Prayer is the desire to listen to God firsthand, to speak to God firsthand, and then set aside the time, make the arrangements to carry that out. This flows from the conviction that the living God is immensely important and that what goes on between the two of you requires your exclusive attention. Now hear this. There is a parody that we engage in all too often. The details are the same as that of what I just shared, but there are two differences. The person across from the table is self, and the waiter, that's God. This waiter God is essential, but on the peripheral for most of us. You can't have the dinner without him, but he is not an intimate participation in it, participant in it. He is someone for many of us that we often give orders to, make complaints to, and maybe at the end, give thanks. The person that many of us are most absorbed with is self. Our moods, our, our ideas, our interests, our satisfactions. Then we leave the restaurant and we forget about the waiter till the next time we go. Sadly, the second scenario that I just shared is what prayer is for many of us. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's convicting. To think that sometimes I treat God as a waiter and not the one that I've intentionally created intimate time with. Tim Strafford wrote, we do not build relationships on a sentence or two spoken every now and again. Conversation between real friends is a constant stream. Dave Pollison said this, I love it. Prayer is meant to be 
the conversation where your life meets your God. That's what prayer is. Friends, our conversations with God should be constant and they should be intimate. And that's how I want you to look at your conversations with God moving forward. Now let's talk for a moment about connection. And this is important because we don't just pray to have a conversation. We pray because we need connection with God. We need connection with God and we need connection with his people. Connection helps us to fulfill the greatest commandment. I say this all the time. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This is what connection produces. Many of us don't get this kind of connection with God when we pray. You've heard me say this before. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's not going to get us connected to God. Nor is it going to get us out of the things that we're into. So we don't just pray to have a conversation with God. We pray to get connected to God. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks. That's the purpose of prayer, to align with God. And it's from this place of connection and intimacy with God that all types of prayers begin to overflow from our lives. This is where praise comes from. This is where confession comes from. The practice of prayer is conversation and it's connection. Now, the second facet or phrase of prayer that I want to talk about is the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. I need you to know that the posture of prayer is, of, is one of both dependence and trust. One of both dependence and trust. Because prayer requires both. Both dependence and trust. It does not require polish or perfection. Does not require polish or perfection. Paul Miller said this. He said, when you pray, come overwhelmed with life. He said, come with a wandering mind. He said, come messy. I love that. In other words, bring all of your cares and concerns and stress with you. If you're anything like me, oftentimes it's the messiness in our lives, our cares and concerns that keep us from coming to God. That keep us from coming to church. When those are the things that we should be bringing with God. But we should all, that we should be bringing to God, but we should also come to God expectant, dependent, and trusting that he is in fact who he says he is. Because dependence says, apart from you, I can do nothing. When we truly depend on God, that says, apart from you, I can do nothing. I love what Jesus said in John 8, verses 26 through 29. This captures the heart of dependence. He said, I have much to say about, about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. That's what dependence is. 
And I submit to you as Christ followers, this should be what we stri- how we strive to live. But as I mentioned a minute ago, a lot of times it's easy for us to, to get in our flesh and get in our feelings. And we do what our feelings tell us to do. We do what we think is best in a given situation or circumstance. Not what God would want us to do. But Jesus models this for us. And in doing so, we learn that the practice of prayer, conversation and connection, helps us with the posture of prayer. Because what I'm learning is is, is, it's it's not how you enter into prayer that matters. It's what happens while we're in prayer and how we exit that experience that matters the most. So the posture of prayer is about dependence, but it's also about trust. Trust flows from our identity. It flows from our identity. The one by whom we have access to God through prayer. Proverbs 3, 5, we quote it all the time. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. This is a tough one for many of us. Because many of us have been around the block. We've accomplished some things. We have some degrees. We have some accolades. And so it becomes difficult for us to trust God, to lean not to our own understanding. Don't hit me wrong. The wisdom that God has, give, has given you, it has its place. Some of us are incredibly gifted at discernment. That has its place. But it should never take the place of trusting in God because trusting God allows us to be bold. It allows us to be honest. Then we can pray prayers like we read in Mark 9, 24, when he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Trust allows us to boldly say that to God. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. What I'm learning is that we can trust even when we're uncertain. Even when we don't have all of the details, we can trust. How do we get there? We get there through and by prayer. Because the posture of prayer is one of dependence and of trust. Lastly, I want to share here the final facet, phrase of prayer, and that is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. The power of prayer moves us to think about God's kingdom and God's care. God's kingdom and God's care. See, God's kingdom is God's activity. God's care is God's heart. Why is this important? Because many of us are so concerned, I said it a minute ago, about the kingdom of me, the kingdom of self. And we'll get into this next week. I'm going to share some statistics with you about this part is what's missing from a lot of our prayers. But when Jesus taught about prayer, he mentioned this. The first two things he says in Matthew 6 is declare who God is and then surrender your will for his will. We saw Jesus do this in the garden, didn't we? He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Most of us don't pray this. Most of us don't pray that. We pray, God, help me out of this situation. Help me out of this circumstance. God, I need this from you. God, I need that from you. But if you look at when Jesus taught us how to pray, give us this day our daily bread comes after declaring who he is and surrendering our will for his. Because everything else that follows assumes that we have declared who he is and we have surrendered our will for his. 
So the power of prayer comes when we think about, when we acknowledge God's kingdom and God's heart. See, God's kingdom is when we, we are invited into his story. I said this before, there's, there's God's story, there's our story, and there's a story that the enemy tries to tell us, which is a lie. And so acknowledging God's kingdom is important because there are other kingdoms that are established in the world and other kingdoms that seek to be established in your heart and in your mind. So God's kingdom, God's activity needs to be important in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Satan is the God of this world. So when we engage in the power of prayer, part of that for us is acknowledging God's kingdom. It's by acknowledging God's kingdom that we understand God's care, God's heart. You heard us say a couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Nick was here and we talked about care teams that are being developed. And if you are part of that email list, he always opens that, prayer, that email with thanks again for being willing to pray and to lift up those families and requests to the Lord. He says in every email, he says, we know that the Lord hears and responds to the prayers of his people and that the Lord cares deeply about all that is going on in our lives. Thanks for praying for the following request. And this always reminds us that God cares about the large and the small, the dire and the daily. And when we engage in prayer, and we submit to his will, his kingdom, his activity, and not our own will, we get to understand the heart of God. And it's in that space that we are reminded that God is with us and he is for us. And so as we, as we begin this series on prayer, it's important that you understand the practice of prayer is conversation and connection. The, the posture of prayer is one of dependence and trust. And the power of prayer comes when we acknowledge God's kingdom. And we understand God's heart, God's care for his people. As I close, let me remind you of John 15. One more time, Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. For the branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, many of us are trying to produce fruit for the kingdom outside of the kingdom. He said, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, we can do nothing. I know your heart is to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. I know it is. Because you're just like me. You want to be used mightily for the kingdom of God. And what I'm suggesting at the onset of this series, family, is that we have been trying to do it apart from prayer. I'll share this next week. Studies show that more than half of Christians say they pray every day. A large percentage of them also say that God doesn't always answer prayer. There's a disconnect somewhere. There's a disconnect. First John says that this is the confidence that we have. This is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything, here it is, according to 
his will. He hears us. And we know that we have what we ask. Is that your testimony? Or is prayer inconsistent, a mystery, unenjoyable? That's why we're going to spend seven weeks talking about this. This is what our Savior modeled. For many of us, we make the Christian life about so many things except abiding, except remaining in him. We've deduced Christianity to our attendance, our efforts, our rule-keeping. Maybe that's the reason many of us haven't abided with Christ because we're so busy. We haven't made the time so that we can be fruitful for his kingdom. I need you to know that prayer is about relationship. So in order for our relationship with God to grow or to deepen, we need to create space. We need to create time. We need to create margin. Because prayer should be our practice through conversation and connection. Our posture with prayer should be one of dependence and trust. Also that God's power, his activity, and his heart will be evident to all we encounter. Next week, we'll look at what Jesus had to say about prayer. But as our application today, speaking of time and margin, I want to take some time to do just that. To create some time, some space, some margin right now in our time together. For us to get before God. So right now, I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And let's just take some space. Go to God for yourself. Whatever cares, concerns, or messiness that you have, I need you. We're creating space right now. I need you to lean in. Let's go to God. God, here we are, broken, 
messy, stressed, confused, frustrated, discouraged, disappointed. God, but we're here. And God, we sit at your feet today asking that you would help us to lean into the practice of prayer. That we would create margin, God, and space and time to have intimate conversations with you. And we pray that as we lean into those conversations that we would experience a divine connection with you. And God, as we, as we connect with you, you would help us to develop a posture of dependence and trust. And that the more we do that, we would experience your power through prayer. That we would surrender our will, our kingdom, our agenda, our ideas. And that truly your kingdom would come in our hearts and in our minds. And then that we will begin to know your heart, to share your heart, and then display your heart. But we're asking God that you would start with us. Start with our messiness. Start with our brokenness. God, we're expecting great things because you are a great God. We pray that you would deal with us as we study prayer in unmistakable and undeniable ways. Pray that you'll build a testimony in us that no demon in hell could come against, no man on earth could take away. We're believing you for that, God. Be with us, God, as we lean into prayer together. We pray that as a result, we'll know you better and we'll love you more deeply. Do it, God. Only you can do it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.